Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners, and welcome to another episode of your local news and interview podcast, No Rain Date. I'm Josh Popachak, your host and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with a roundup of headlines for the week ending April 10th, 2021. And it's been a very busy week in the Saucon Valley area for news. I know I probably say that regularly, but this time I really feel it, let's say. The big story this week has been one that I did not take any pleasure in reporting. It involves charges against a Lower Saucon Township police officer who is charged with assault related to an incident when he was off duty. The charged officer is James M. Connell. He has been a Lower Saucon Township police officer for a number of years. I have known Jim as he's known to most people in the community for a number of years and that is something that I could not allow to factor into my decision to report on this however it doesn't make it any easier you know understandably there are many people in the community that are upset that he is charged however we have a responsibility to report on crimes of this nature and I would have reported anyone charged with the crime that he is accused of. Basically, to recap what the charges consist of, Connell is accused of punching another man outside a downtown Hellertown restaurant, Wings on Main, on April 1st. So the charge is a a misdemeanor charge of assault, and there's also a summary charge of harassment filed against him. He is suspended without pay by the Lower Saucon Township Police Department. And that is until, I would presume, until the case is concluded, at least. The next court date he has is in early July. And at his preliminary hearing, which was held this past week, James Connell's attorney said that he does intend to seek ARD for his client, the Accelerated Rehabilitative Disposition Program is available to individuals who are charged with certain types of misdemeanors or summary offenses. Typically, they cannot have any type of criminal record, which he does not have. And then it's up to the district attorney to determine whether that person is eligible, at least in some cases, or all cases, actually. And we did speak with uh, District Attorney Terry Houck, who's the DA for Northampton County. He said he will be examining a number of factors with regard to that application, assuming it's made. One of them is injuries to the victim. We did not name the victim in this story, and I saw a lot of questions about that on Facebook. That's standard procedure in reporting of this nature and honestly if you have read some of the comments 
directed towards the victim, I think you'll understand why it's standard procedure. The last thing I need is somebody, um, you know, being attacked or, or worse because of my reporting. And I understand, you know, the protectiveness of the defendant in this case. Certainly he's the better known person of the two. Police officers in small communities are inevitably well known if they've been on the job for a long time and also in this case they grew up here. So it's a complicated situation. I don't, you know, begrudge anybody the ability to defend their friend and their their loyalty to somebody who helps protect them. On the other hand, I would just ask that calmer heads prevail as we continue to report on this case because I have a job to do. I will always do it to the best of my ability. And that involves reporting on people that I know, unfortunately, and and even people that I like and, and respect. So, of course, you know, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. And we stress that in our crime reporting, whether it's a police officer that's been charged or somebody who is a rap sheet, you know, a mile long. That's called fairness and ethics. I honestly think that some people's minds have been so influenced by exposure to unethical journalism that they really have a difficult time recognizing fairness in reporting when they encounter it. That makes my job harder, obviously. If anyone has any questions about my reporting, I would always be happy to answer them. Like I said, I I saw a number of assumptions in the comments on Facebook about the story involving the charges against Officer Connell. Most of them were false assumptions, like the assumption that I redacted the victim's name in this story simply because an officer was involved. That had nothing to do with it. That's standard reporting and the right way to report this type of story. So we'll continue to follow it, of course. Like I said, the next hearing date in the case isn't until July. Beyond that, it's, you know, certainly unclear this time if there will be additional proceedings, let alone a trial. In my experience, most of these cases do not go to a trial. They will be resolved well before that. And I'm positive that that's what would be best you know, for the community in this case. I'm sure that everyone wants a fair outcome, which will probably involve compromise. I know it's been a tough situation for the for the Lower Saucon Township Police Department, obviously the friends and family of Officer Connell, but we also have to think of the friends and family of the alleged victim in this case. So look at the big picture when evaluating this type of content. We'll continue to do our our best to be your first choice as a messenger. I take that job very seriously. Believe me, I spent many hours crafting the story that was published on Thursday. It was not thrown together. It was carefully constructed. And I was the only reporter at the preliminary hearing. After my reporting, a number of other sources had the story, the morning call, Lehigh Valley Live, of course, published stories about the charges against Officer Connell. However, they were not at the hearing. They don't 
in my opinion, know the department to the depth that we do. They haven't been covering it continuously, probably, like I have for 15 years. So that experience, I think, gives us a uh, advantage in terms of the context that we provide. I'll leave it at that, but I appreciate all of the all of the feedback, positive or negative. I hope you'll continue to read our coverage of, of these and other difficult issues. Another difficult story that was reported this week involves charges in a fatal pedestrian accident that actually occurred last June. Uh, many of you will remember when this happened. Francis Miller, a 74-year-old borough resident, was killed or struck, rather, as she crossed Main Street in a crosswalk near Bachman Street. She died the following day as a result of traumatic injuries from the accident. State police conducted an accident reconstruction, and according to the affidavit of probable cause filed by Hellertown Borough Police in this case, video surveillance footage from Hellertown Dental Group, which is located at that intersection, proved critical in developing the charges against Kenneth M. Schubel of Lower Saucon Township. Schubel is charged with a number of charges, including homicide by vehicle while DUI. That's probably the most serious one, but we have the full list in our story about the case Schubel is 57, and police accuse him of being high on drugs, including methamphetamine, when he struck Francis Miller. That was on June 20th, 2020. Pedestrian safety, obviously, is a long-standing issue in Hellertown, so I'm sure this case will be closely watched. We will continue to follow it as it develops. We also extend our condolences once again to the Miller family. I was sad to read a comment on Facebook by Mrs. Miller's son saying that he had received no information from the district attorney or borough police about the filing of charges and discovered that this had happened via Facebook. I have no control, obviously, over the communication choices that are made by the district attorney, borough police, and I'm not saying they're right or wrong. However, I can understand why a family member would be less than happy to find out that way. We were actually the last local media source in this case to report the news. We were the first to report about the charges against Officer James Connell. We were the last to report this story because I wanted to be extremely thorough once again and wanted to review all the court documents. So. It was not a case of of rushing to put it out there and not thinking of the family. And and I know that Mrs. Miller's family recognizes that, too. It's just never a happy moment when I read something like that. So I guess I'm just trying to express the fact that we do think about our reporting very carefully. And we do try and report facts compassionately and as sensitively as possible in some cases it's not possible to report something that that is very difficult news in a way that everybody is going to find sensitive to the you know all parties involved we'll continue to do the best we can with that 
In other news, real estate news, we reported an upcoming auction of a building in downtown Hellertown that formerly housed a well-known restaurant. The building is located at 620 Main Street, and it formerly housed Sagra Bistro, which was a mainstay for foodies in the Hellertown area for about a decade until it closed in August 2019. I was always a fan of Sagra's and, and sad to see it close, and it's been empty ever since then. A sign by a local auctioneer appeared on the front of the building recently, and it is scheduled to be auctioned via an online sale later this month, later in April. There will be a preview of the building before that, and all the information about the times and dates is in our story, of course. The building includes parking in the rear of the lot. It also comes with various fixtures, so one would imagine that somebody else interested in opening a bar or and or restaurant in Hellertown might be interested in looking at this. Hellertown has a pretty solid restaurant and brewery scene, but there's always room for more. And since uh, Salkin Source's offices are located in the same block, uh, we'll be very curious to see what happens as a result of the upcoming auction. And if an, another business or restaurant is planned for that location, we will be hopefully the first to report it to you. In other business news, we followed up on a inquiry by a reader about the Waffle House that's located on the Hellertown-Bethlehem line. They were actually wondering if the business was closed. Driving by at night, I can understand why they would have wondered that. It's essentially completely dark, and normally it's a 24-hour restaurant. It's located right off I-78 at the 412 exit. Very busy interchange, and so it's a popular place for travelers on the highway to stop, as well as locals. We reached out to the franchise owners who also own a Waffle House on Airport Road in Allentown. They said that the reason the Hellertown slash Bethlehem Waffle House is currently only open from 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. is a serious staffing shortage. Essentially, they said they're unable to find enough people to fill all the positions that they need to fill to keep the restaurant open 24 hours a day. That's three shifts. So currently they're only staffing one shift and that's why it's open basically for breakfast and lunch. The owners, the Yildirans, cited the recent stimulus payments that went out to most people as a possible factor in the difficulty they're seeing with potential hiring. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case because I know many other restaurants and retail establishments have been struggling to hire. There are a lot of jobs out there right now, but it seems like there aren't enough people in the market at the moment to fill them. Things have been a little topsy-turvy in, in that in that way. We'll continue to report on uh, job openings, and we do have information in that story about how you can apply if you would like to work at the Waffle House. Of course, Sock and Source also runs advertising, help wanted ads. If you are a business owner in need of something like that, you can always contact me at josh at We have advertising solutions for every 
situation. And uh, certainly if you're a local employer, we reach a lot of local readers. We can help connect you with job seekers. Many people in the Hellertown area notice construction beginning at various intersections up and down Main Street this past week. The cones and the orange fencing are there for a good reason. They are part of phase two of the borough's pedestrian safety initiative. This is going to result in uh, new crosswalks being installed at a number of different intersections. Six intersections are getting flash signal crosswalks, which will help improve pedestrian safety. Those are Wagner Avenue, Thomas Avenue, Chestnut Street, Hampton Avenue, and a sixth one (laughs) that I'm forgetting, but it's in the story. There are also crosswalk improvements being made at Division Street, Water Street, and a couple of other intersections. It's a lot of intersections, and it's going to take a while to complete this work. It's expected to last into mid-August. One of the most exciting parts of the project is going to be at Thomas Avenue, where there will be a bump out. So that essentially that's a widening of the sidewalk and a shortening of the crosswalk to make it easier to cross there. There's also going to be a bus shelter installed on the east side of the street. This is near Sailors, and that will be much appreciated, I'm sure, by Lanta riders. In local history, we're big fans of local history here at Sauk and Source. We were pleased to share a column written by our friend Jim Friedman, who's also in the news business. This was published on his Facebook group, Bethlehem PA for History Lovers, and we politely asked Jim if he wouldn't mind us sharing it on Sauk and Source because it involves Lower Sauk and Township, and he readily agreed. His column is about the lost village of Reddington, which was actually a booming industrial center from the mid-1800s into the early 1900s, just after World War I was when things slowed down there. Things sort of peaked activity-wise around World War I, which was when Bethlehem Steel was manufacturing munitions in Reddington. They had a, a proving ground there. And these were being shipped to the fronts in Europe. Of course, that war was entered by the U.S. in 1917, and things stayed active in Reddington for a while. At one point, 1,500 people worked there. There was a post office. There was a general store. Trains passed through, making 8 to 10 stops a day pick up and let off passengers so it's kind of hard to imagine that today because it's essentially a very rural woodsy area people from the lower Saucon Saucon Valley area probably know the road that passes through there as the Narrows and that's because it's only uh, one car width wide there are some homes older homes that cling to the side of the hill there overlooking the Lehigh River It's mostly private property today, and if you look carefully to your left as you're driving the Narrows towards the river, especially in the wintertime, you will be able to see some of the ruins of buildings that were part of Reddington. So those have been abandoned for the better part of a century. Jim's piece is really fascinating, and I don't want to give everything away, but I'll say there's a connection to the Titanic 
that you'll find in it. I hope everybody enjoys that glimpse back at the past. We also published a story regarding noise in Hellertown, noise regulations. This was brought up at the Borough Council meeting on April 5th. Borough Police Chief Robert Shupp highlighted the fact that the Borough uh, Nuisance Ordinance to date has not defined nuisance noise by the decibel level. And so essentially what this will do is make noise ordinance violations more exact because limits by decibel will be set for various times and that will help police do their job. I'm thinking come summertime with fireworks, this is going to definitely be put to the test. The only uh, permission that was needed was from the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board because the new updated rather version of the ordinance will impact licensees in the borough. So bars and restaurants that are licensed to sell alcohol. Assuming that PLCB is okay with everything in the ordinance, this will take effect because borough council approved it conditional upon uh, PLCB's approval. Lastly, I just wanted to highlight some some good news, which we shared in the form of photos. These are by uh, Chris Christian, who's our intrepid photographer. He does a great job. Chris was busy this week. We had some beautiful days with highs in the 70s, clear blue skies, and it seemed like half of Hellertown was outside. You saw joggers. People were flocking to the Saucon Rail Trail. Lots of people were getting outside and starting yard work. I saw the Hellertown Public Works Department employees tidying up that Willer Plaza, which looks great. Bradford pears are in bloom, just about peak bloom right now. So there's a really pretty backdrop for the clock tower and the fountain. I snapped a photo of that the other day. It's just a, a beautiful time of year in the Saucon Valley. And we wanted to share that with our friends Uh, near and far, so I hope you're enjoying those photos. He took a bunch at the Dimmick Park Playground, as well as Water Street Park. Basketball court has been real busy, so check them out. You might see some people you recognize, and we'll continue to share photos of people having fun. We're looking forward to photographing the Saucon Valley Farmer's Market on its opening day, May 2nd. We did have a story about the market being in need of volunteers this season, so I hope you'll read that. Uh, They need a number of volunteers to help things run smoothly, and it's a great organization. I think just to, to give back by volunteering a few hours a week on a Sunday could be a great opportunity for younger people, maybe teens, maybe uh, somebody that's thinking about becoming an Eagle Scout or, you know, could could help out. Or, you know, older people that are active and and want to uh, get out safely, socialize in the fresh air. You'll learn a lot by meeting the vendors and uh, they are having some new vendors come in this year. Um, We're excited to report on those names in the near future. So I'll leave it at that, but uh, continue to check back with Sock and Source for news of the farmer's market and other business openings and changes in the Hellertown area. Those are the headlines for the week ending April 10th, 2021. 
Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online, and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members, and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure this week on No Rain Date to welcome a local business owner, Kirsten Hess, who's the owner of Let's Play Books in Emmaus. Thank you so much for joining us. It is more than my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure to have you. We are big fans of yours, and we kind of got the idea for this interview from the uh, Lehigh Valley Book Festival, which... We first heard about last year, but obviously COVID had other plans for us. And being a inventive person, you have persevered and in partnership with the Bethlehem Area Public Library are holding the festival virtually this year. And that's ongoing. Can you talk a little bit about the festival and its origins and how things are going? Absolutely. As you mentioned, we were very saddened that we had to shut down the inaugural festival, which would have been last year, March 2020. We had spent almost four years developing the festival. Hmm. Um, We had 75 authors and illustrators and special guests prepped for a three-day fantastic (laughs) festival at the Bethlehem Public Library, as well as PBS station. We were going to have an open house there and an evening reception at ArtsQuest. I mean, it was really going to be wonderful. And so that had to go away. Hmm. And we weren't quite sure whether or not we were going to do it again in March of this year, because as you know, you can't just decide right away to have an event of that level and with covid not knowing what was going on we decided to err on the side of caution 
in August of 2020 and say, okay, we'll, we'll host a festival, but we'll do it all online. And obviously mm. we're glad that we decided to do that because right. we definitely would not have been ready for an in-person event right now. And so instead of having 75 authors in person over three days, we have 36 authors over the course of six weeks. Mm. And we are hosting an event like every week, two or three events every weekend over the course of six weeks. That was kind of our creative way of saying, we know people are kind of tired of virtual programming. Mm -hmm. And if we try to do 36 authors in a weekend, (laughs) nobody would come. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe they would be interested in coming on Friday nights and Saturday mornings. And so we're only one week into it, but it was very well attended and people really enjoyed it. So I'm really looking forward to the next five weeks. Fantastic. Are these all local authors? Are they from all over the country, the world? There's probably, there's approximately 20% would be local in terms of the region. Most of the authors live somewhere else in the country. They're all on national tours Mm -hmm. for their frontless titles. So any books that have been published within the last three to four months are kind of in that realm and the publishers are the are the people that have chosen which authors to kind of send us to be able to showcase we work with the publishers directly roughly nine months before the publishing date of a book and Mm -hmm. so like right now we're working on next year's 2022 book festival and do you anticipate that being in person or maybe like a hybrid of online and in person? I am being cautiously optimistic that it will be held in person. The Mm -hmm. nice thing of having a partnership with the Bethlehem Public Library is that they have a large space that we can work with. So Mm -hmm. even if we do have some issues still taking place with masks, et cetera, we have a large indoor venue that can house over 200 people, along with a fantastic outside space. So we have flexibility and we'll be going forward with the goal of an in-person event next year. And when we do that, very similar to what we tried to do in 2020, we'll have a lot more local authors participate as well. People that we would typically have in our bookstore under consignment that are self-published type self-published authors or vanity published authors that have assistance that aren't really on national tours from a publisher out of New York City, but are here, are local, are great writers, are great friends of bookstores and library communities, and we'd really like to be able to showcase them. So when we have an outdoor event and a large in-person event, we'll be able to showcase a lot more people, which will be great. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, I realize that online is, is limiting you a little bit. So that's exciting for sure. It is hard to do online because, as you already know, even that the, the cream of the crop, the most popular person in the world can only generate so much interest when it's on a Zoom call. And so a lot of the authors that would typically bring in two, 300 people all by themselves. Like for instance, this coming, actually I think it's before our, our time frame, but one of our 
authors, E. Lockhart, wrote a book called We Were Liars, and it's a phenomenal book, and she's had multiple books since. We would sell 300 tickets to see her, mm-hmm. but we put her on a panel with three other authors because generating interest in virtual programming is just incredibly challenging. Right. Like, and like you said, especially at this point where the novelty is sort of worn off, well, long ago, probably. <laughs> um, long ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause I remember in the beginning it was like, Oh, like zoom and zoom happy hour. And you know, that, that didn't last so long. So, Definitely not. It's it's just not the same thing. I mean, we have some focusing on some question and answering times so people can talk directly to the authors. Mm-hmm. And we have signed books and signed book plates. But that is not the same no. as sitting in an experience in a library or a bookstore and having a one on one conversation while you're getting your book signed. It's just a whole different experience. Right. But we're doing our best. (laughs) Everybody is, right? We're just rolling with the punches. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And and I applaud everybody who's who's done that. And I know it's it's been harder for some than others, you know, based on you know, every industry is unique. And I was thinking about this today and thinking about, you know, the the interview and what I was gonna ask you. I mean, I know that traditionally for myself, like one of the the pleasures of going to a bookstore is like going in there and browsing, you know, and I'm sure that's, that's true for a lot of your customers. Have they adapted to online ordering? And was that a difficult transition for some people? It was extremely difficult and it's extremely difficult on us as well. We are um, in the business of people and books And at the moment, we only have one or the other. Mm -hmm. It's not combined anymore, right? And we've become an online processing center. Right. And instead of Amazon, where you're going to get your book in a day, and maybe and likely less than you would get it from me, you now have to order it online from me. You have to wait three or four days. You have to receive a phone call. <laughs> and then right. you have to drive here and meet me on the corner to pick up your book. That's a lot of work. And we appreciate that during, you know, like you said, the novelty of the Zoom call, the novelty of that experience was long, long ago. You know, for two or three months, it was awfully cute to come pick up your book. And and we delivered books, too, for months. Huh. Oh, yeah, for three or four months, we were delivering books until about 9 o'clock at night every night of the week with just wow. a staff of my family because we had to let our wonderful staff go in March of 2020. So it's been a little brutal, I'll be perfectly honest, and one in five bookstores has closed permanently over the course of the last 14 months. Oh my so that's gosh. not a good sign. No. Um, and the only reason that we're still here is because our customers have made that extra effort to keep us here. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is easier to get a book somewhere else mm-hmm. during this pandemic. And instead, people are taking their time. They are enjoying the novelty of who knows what Let's Play Books is up to today. And let's pay attention to their Facebook page and see what stories they have to tell. 
and the community aspect of what we've provided over the last seven years, we have worked very hard to keep that Mm -hmm. through our social media channels. And we are more than to say we're appreciative of our customers is just it just doesn't do it justice because without them, without our readers, we would definitely not be here. They have made a choice to keep us here, which is Mm -hmm. pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's heartwarming to hear that. And I often say supporting local business, it's not like you you wake up one day and you're like, oh, I'm going to be mindful and, you know, always, you know, buy local. Like, it's it's really a process. And it does take years in many cases to develop that, that type of clientele. And, and it's not easy to do even over years. So hats off to you for for all the the groundwork that you laid, you know, in the years leading up to the pandemic. I think that that's, you know, something that others, you know, maybe will want to emulate. But like you said, it's 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 sad to hear that that many have closed and and it was a struggling industry somewhat even before the pandemic, correct? With bookstore independent bookstores. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, bookstores have always been challenging to keep open only because their margins are historically low compared to pretty much all other products that is a retail environment. Most people don't know this and they've learned this and it's kind of cool that every industry has a product that is updated in seasons, right? You have a new color that comes out, you have new jewelry, you have new shoes, you you have new books. Mm-hmm. But you don't get rid of old books, right? right? So there's like 15 million books in circulation <laughs> right now, or more than that, probably. And so how the economics of the book is one that, you know, you need master classes in to kind of follow. And huh. the the dumbed down version, which fits me, is is kind of a 2% rule that most products are, are a much higher margin than books. Books are around 2%. And so the, the bookstores that are doing well have a profit of 2% at the end of the year. And the books and the bookstores that have to close are kind of a negative 2% in the whole. So you're already working with the tightest margins possible. And so that's one of the reasons why I think bookstores are kind of good at sticking around through this is because we're already used to really digging deep and figuring mm-hmm. out how to stay afloat in an economic world that doesn't really fit our model. But the Amazon, because it's really the Amazon, it used to be the the Barnes and Nobles and the, the large big box stores that put the independents out of business mm-hmm. well, you know, well before 2008. And then all of a sudden they went out of business. A lot of them did too, because Amazon just took over. And Mm -hmm. as you related earlier, buying online point and click is so different than choosing to shop or live locally. And it's a process. You can't just all of a sudden become a local shopper. Like you might start here. You might start with just books or start with just jewelry, whatever you want to start with, but it takes a while to kind of develop the idea of how do I do this and locally source more things that I bring into my home while we're also getting more and more eco-friendly, not only of where our products are coming from, but how long they took to get there and maybe 
having less product in the first place is a good mm-hmm. thing, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and bookstores are, are one of the kind of the leaders in that area. And it's a little bit of a disservice that we say, hey, you don't really need to buy that book. You can you can get that book from the library because <laughs> <laughs> we support libraries, too. So it's really the whole kit and cabaret is is a little messy, but it's also a labor of love, which mm-hmm. I don't know anybody in the book industry that is here for money. Not a single person mm-hmm. anywhere along the line, <laughs> not from author to publisher to bookseller. It's it's all for the love of of the written word versus versus the paycheck. <laughs> and and I want to ask you about that. Like you said that you opened Let's Play Books seven years ago, but what led what led to that? I mean, you you obviously are a huge book lover, a bibliophile, and growing up, were you like a bookworm or, you know, what, where does your love for books originate? So I love telling this story, especially to what we call our reluctant readers in that age of seven to 10, because I was a reluctant reader. And I like to say to kids in story times, etc. Would you believe that a bookstore owner didn't like to read until she was in her 30s? And, <laughs> and they all it's true. I, yeah, I, um, I'm over 50 now. And back in my day, there wasn't nearly as many neurodiversity conversations and the ability to talk about intellectual or developmental disabilities, etc. And I probably would have been diagnosed with something because reading didn't come easy to me at all. And I found that my friends were reading faster than I was. I found that I had to reread a paragraph to understand and comprehend what the message was when my peers didn't have to do that. And so reading really became something that I dreaded and that made me feel bad and insecure. And it wasn't until, and I didn't, I did fine. My grades were fine. I, I graduated. I went on to a wonderful degree and, and had a great career at Lockheed Martin as an adult, but I still wasn't a reader. And then, then I had a, a daughter and she was diagnosed with life-threatening food allergies at the age of two. And all of a sudden, our lives changed. And I became, instead of a a career mom, I became a stay-at-home mom because we didn't have daycare facilities that could handle life-threatening allergies back in the day, whereas now it's quite common and people know what to do. Hmm. And what ended up happening was I used books, traditional picture books, to communicate with people to talk about how to keep my daughter safe. And I found that using picture books and reading stories about her, what we then called a disability, was a way to bridge a gap for a conversation to be had that was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so instead of having a parent be angry with me that, please don't bring those cupcakes into (laughs) my daughter's second grade classroom because that could kill her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead, we would read books ahead of time. So parents and children would already know that. And kids are so naturally wanting to help their friends that when they're exposed to different challenges that different children face through picture books, they immediately want to help that child. They automatically want to help. All of them do. 
And that's what started me on a trajectory of completely a different career path and loving books. And that was a really long, babbly story. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's absolutely fascinating, especially what, what made you think to even use picture books to do that? Because I've never really heard of that before. Well, it was because of a doctor, right? Because I was like, okay, I need to learn about food allergies. I need to understand how to keep my daughter healthy and, and, and learn the science behind it. So I went to the library and went to our local bookstore at the time, which was in Des Moines, Iowa, because we had moved there from Washington, D.C., and tried to get my hands on every single book I could find about food allergies. And most of them were clinical and most of them were for adults, but there were three or four picture books. And one of them was called The Bugabees. And it was just delightful. And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to start story times at the library with this book. <laughs> Next thing you know, I was launching a nonprofit called Let's Play Books and using books to tell stories to families about children that had issues and how to help them. And that kind of morphed into a program that I worked with first and second graders that had been identified as reluctant readers or children that were being challenged with having challenges with reading. And I would just play with them. And so the idea behind Let's Play Books was we're not going to worry about literacy. You're going to learn to read. You might not learn to read at age seven. You might be eight. You might be nine. But you will eventually learn to read. My goal was to keep the story fun and learn to love the story instead of focusing on the actual words. So we would work with picture books that didn't have any words, wordless picture books or reader's theater, and I would just try to work with children to make them laugh and want to know what's gonna happen next. And that naturally developed into me wanting to learn more about the book industry, and I landed a fabulous job at one of the best independent bookstores in the entire country. And when we left that area, because I was in Connecticut, we I worked at R.J. Jewelry wow, Booksellers in Connecticut, been a few places. <laughs> and we left Connecticut to come to Pennsylvania because my husband got a job here. Okay. And I, and I came kicking and screaming, to be perfectly honest, because I had basically found my dream job, but of course there wasn't a lot of economic <laughs> heft with the with, with that bookselling job. <laughs> so we had uh, lived in. We had lived in Pennsylvania in Emmaus for three months when I saw the place that I eventually took over and became Let's Play Books Bookstore for only three months. And we were up and running two months later. So five and a half months after I moved to Pennsylvania, I opened Let's Play Books Bookstore. Wow. Not necessarily the smartest thing to do. I'll perfectly <laughs> admit it. Did you get some like but, uh, quizzical looks when you were telling people that you were doing that? or? Yeah, well, I didn't really know anyone. I mean, that's the ironic part is that I, I launched a business in a pretty close-knit community. I mean, the Lehigh Valley in general is pretty close-knit. Emmaus is particularly, I think, close-knit and chose to, to launch a brand new business without knowing a soul. Every single person I've met, except for my next door neighbor at the time, I met through my bookstore. Hmm. And 
that's not necessarily the, the best way to start a business, <laughs> but it worked out okay. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> it was almost like you, you, yeah. I mean, if you if you knew more, you might have been too afraid to do it. So like maybe it was maybe it was meant to be that it was that early on. I could see that. And I think that's actually a great point. You know, I have spoken to a few organizations and groups about women entrepreneurship, etc. And I will say that fear gets in the way of a lot of progress for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I did not have a fear of the industry because I knew the industry and I knew the financials of the industry. I knew that I knew what I had to do to make it successful. But I think if I knew people in the area already, I would have been much more hesitant. It was much easier to just say, I'm a brand new person and I'm going to introduce myself as the owner of this bookstore. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're right about that. I I really do. Oh, that's that's, uh, just a fascinating (laughs) story. I want to touch on your location, though. You are right on Main Street in Emmaus. Are you on the Triangle or near the Triangle? We were on the Triangle when we opened in 2014 or 2013 in December. We were right on the Triangle, literally, 379 Main Street. And it's an adorable building, which now houses Cottage and Bloom, which is a fantastic small business that everybody should check out. And then in 2016, three years after we opened, we relocated about a block and a half down the street on Main Street to a much larger space. The, the, The first place was one room and 750 square feet truly a children's bookstore dedicated Mm -hmm. children's bookstore and then when we relocated here or where we currently are located we became a full service bookstore so instead of just children's we now carry everything but we still rely heavily on our our relationship to children's books whereas most most independent bookstores that are all new which is what we are we don't have any used books here tend to have a 25 percent of their other books are children's and we're more like half. So the first floor is all adult books. And then the second floor is all children's books, <laughs> or mm. at least that's what it, the makeup was when we were open to the public, which it's been now almost a year. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're in a great, a great location. Do you, oh, I love downtown Emmaus and, and it's, it's only getting better. It seems every every year i wish i got over there more often but it seems like a great a great place for a bookstore with you know foot traffic from things like the farmers market when when that's in season and is that is that what you found that you have people coming into the town as the the tourists or is it mainly like locals It's actually, I would call it regional. I wouldn't call it necessarily local. A lot of people think that it's a really walking heavy area and it's really not. However, it's very regionally based. Like you mentioned, the farmer's market, incredible draw to the area. It's one of the reasons why I chose to open a bookstore here was that there was a artist group, the Emmaus Arts Coalition or Commission, I'm sorry, and a, a year-round farmer's market. Those two things, along with Rodale, which was a publishing company that a lot of people in the area, of course, know. They're no longer here, but they were. Those three things were like, well, if this area can't sustain a bookstore, I don't know what 
area could. <laughs> However, I was I, I was a little bit wrong about that. We have become a destination-based bookstore. Over 80% of our sales come from outside of the Emmaus area. Hmm. However, the same thing is kind of said for a lot of the other local businesses here. They are all really unique and really good at what they do. We have great eateries. The Conversational Threads is a knitting store that is known, you know, across the country. South Mountain Cycle and Cafe, or Cycle right now, is one of the best cycle businesses in the entire region. So you have a lot of businesses that are just are destination based. So the people that come to the Emmaus Run Inn may come from 30 miles away. And then they'll stop by the bookstore or vice versa. So I think that our businesses have really worked well together and through the Emmaus Main Street program to develop a sense of community that might just be more of a regional based. One of the challenges I think that we face here in Emmaus is that we often think of the Lehigh Valley. We think Bethlehem, Allentown and Easton. Mm -hmm. Well, there there's a lot more people than just those three <laughs> cities. <laughs> McCungie's fa fabulous and moving up. I mean, there's all sorts of places that we hope people kind of get out and, and see other areas than just those three titles. Absolutely. As a cheerleader for Hellertown, I can, I can relate to that. Yes, <laughs> Hellertown. I love Hellertown. We're looking if and when we're ever able to grow, which we have been thinking about doing for a long time, I totally want an annex bookstore in Hellertown. I think it would be fantastic. Don't you think? It would totally work. I know some people will be, you know, jumping for joy hearing you say that because <laughs> uh, I often publish, well, sometimes publish stories about like vacant commercial properties and I'll call it like, what should go here? You know, just to kind of get people's juices flowing and you know, poll the community, what what kinds of businesses are you interested in? A bookstore is always, you know, one of the most requested businesses. Oh, see, people that know, they get it, right? Mm -hmm. We can't quite relate to traditional retail because it's really, like we've already said, you can buy any book that you want on the internet with one click. That's not what a bookstore is. A bookstore is a place for exploration, for learning, for being having your eyes open to a variety of things that maybe you didn't know about, to meeting authors. It's such a third space. We always mm -hmm. talk about it being a third space. And uh, I wish we were big enough to have coffee because we really need coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All day long with our I'll vote for that. The yeah. The only thing our customers complain about is, can't you serve coffee? Like, where? There's no place to put coffee. Right. Uh, we have great coffee places around the corner from us, like Baked and South Mountain when they come back from COVID. So right. it's got everything. I wonder if some of that is, is sort of like the Barnes & Noble effects, too. Because, like, every Barnes & Noble pretty much has, like, a Starbucks in it. So now people are conditioned to, you know... Where's coffee, you know, when they go into a bookstore, but. It's true. That's true. And we also, you know, I like to take the opportunity. I hope it's okay to share this now that just because I own an independent bookstore does not mean that I'm against shopping at Barnes and Noble. It's really important that people that care about books and the industry of books 
understand that buying a book at a bookstore is what matters. Mm-hmm. Buying a book from Amazon, buying a book at Target or Costco, not so much. The mm. industry needs to have publishers understanding that people are picking up a book because an author was selected by someone and that there's a relationship to that wanting to learn and connect with people and you get that at at independent bookstores you get it from Barnes and Noble you even get it at at fantastic used bookstores right i mean you just cannot even replicate a fantastic used bookstore now and then is in Emmaus which if you haven't checked out make sure you do that so mm-hmm. that connection between books and bookstores is what matters. <laughs> so that's my plug to buy anywhere you want. Just buy from a bookstore, please. <laughs> well, and, and just sort of like piggybacking off that. I mean, I want us to stay positive, of course, but, but can you maybe like share a little bit about, you know, how Amazon hurts independent bookstores? Because some people honestly may not think about it. You know, they may not really connect the dots and you have the experience to sort of explain that in a way that that hopefully they could understand. I appreciate that very much. And it's probably one of the number one things we talk about because a number of particularly self-published authors will want to get their book out and then they'll publish it on Amazon. And then they don't understand why independent bookstores or Barnes and Noble doesn't want to deal with their book and doesn't Mm -hmm. want to put their book in their, in their shop. And so one of the first things that we always say to authors is just remember that this is a business. Publishing is a business. It is not just a feel good. Oh, I want to do this in my retirement kind of thing, which is, you know, we've romanticized bookstores, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, in, in movies from you've got mail to whatever, it's, it's always something like that. But the fact is, is that Amazon we could talk about for days and days and days, yes. and they really are so large that they have the ability to censor You know, we've had this huge discussion about Dr. Seuss and cancel culture Mm -hmm. and thinking that the publishers don't want to publish these books anymore. Well, that's not the case. But Amazon has the ability to say we don't want that product anymore. And then all of a sudden, all the distributors can't share that product. So just the volume that they encompass, combine that with using books as a loss leader. What that means is they will sell a book less than they paid for it because they know that they're going to make money from you as the consumer on other products that they buy that, mm-hmm. or that the consumer buys. And certainly taxes, which is, you know, in the news now, hot, big time, I, Let's Play Books Bookstore, has paid more in federal income taxes than Amazon. <sighs> That's just... What does that tell you? That's just wrong. <laughs> I, I don't know how anyone Not can... Not just can... state and local, which is a whole nother thing, yeah, too. Yeah, right? I know. That, you know, the, the, the local businesses, and this has nothing to do with just bookstores. It's all mom and pops out there. Anything independent. We are the ones that are putting dollars into your, your kid's soccer team. Or exactly. the raffle prize for the local church. That is real money. It's real connection. It's real community. None of which is taking or or being done through a conglomerate as large as Amazon. And to those that say that it employs people, 
all you have to do is Google employment numbers for Amazon to understand and see that local shops across the country, retail in particular, definitely give more employment to traditional long-term retail positions than Amazon ever has or will. So it's, it's a really big problem. It's something that as a society, we really have to kind of address and read some books about and think about. And like you were talking about when we first met, it's more than a hashtag. It's more than a tweet. It's mm-hmm. more than a, a headline. It's a discussion. We have to educate ourselves on what kind of society we want to live in. And does it mean you, you can't buy anything from Amazon? No, of course, there's some things you have to. But if everybody took a little bit of time and said, well, maybe I don't need to get that there. Maybe the pet shop down the street is a better place to get that cat toy instead of one click Amazon. Because mm-hmm. it also relates to a bigger picture of what do we want as human beings and more relationships and more things that we value that aren't going to end up in a landfill. (laughs) It's not a piece of plastic. It's time and energy. And what do we consider important? Right. Right. I, I, sorry. That's no, I'm glad that you, (laughs) well, it has to be said, I think. And, and especially after the past year, I mean, I wish the conversation at a national level had been happening earlier because the pandemic allowed them to grow muscles like i mean unbelievable like and now the consequences to the economy are are even more serious to the local economy including businesses like yours so i just i think people deserve you know should be aware of what amazon represents and yes of course jobs they do employ people locally but like you said the local private sector if you look at the total area, employs more people. And and not only that, I know that some of the working conditions at Amazon can be brutal. So that's probably why we're looking at, you know, efforts to unionize in various places. And and it's probably only a matter of time before that comes to Pennsylvania. So we're not... And I don't mean to, and I think that's everything you just said is, is absolutely accurate. And And I don't want to be someone that demonizes because the people that work there are still people and and we don't shame them whatsoever. It's really the bigger idea of the concept of what kind of society do we want to have and how big is too big. And it seems to be that this has gotten too big for a lot of people. And, and, And I will say that Jeff Bezos did say that he is, his job was to make sure that every bookseller was out of a job. Ugh. He did actually say that long, long time ago, but he did say that. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't feel that way now since they even opened brick, brick and mortar bookstores, which is really quite funny. But they did. Anyway, How did I miss that. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Wow. Oh. That's, that's another. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it makes my head spin. Um. Me too. too. And there's always so much to learn, right? And everything changes daily. I don't like to be the kind of person that says that it's it's a black and white issue. It's complex. Everything is complex. And I think that's one of the reasons why 
the the library and the bookstore and that third space and people getting back together and having polite conversations is so very important and what we're all so craving once mm-hmm. COVID is actually gone. Because boy, are we more civil to each other when we're face to face than we are behind a keyboard. So we just need more of that. And and then things will get a lot nicer, I think. Absolutely. Well said. What are you reading right now? What's what's on your nightstand <laughs> or or what's on your your list of books that you'd you'd like to read? Oh, gosh. So I'm sure you've heard that people say that they have a to be read pile, you know, that's really, really tall. And a uh-huh. lot of people come into our bookstore and say, oh, I have this many books at home. And and I said, yeah, I understand. I had to open a bookstore to satisfy me <laughs> because I had I had to catch up. You know, because I was and I share this because I think it's important because I I didn't read a lot. Even some of the classics I didn't read in high school. I got through by using cliff notes or watching a movie and thinking that I had gotten the story. I mean, crazy stuff. And so now that I'm not only a bookstore owner, I'm also a book buyer. So. People don't even know that that's a job and that it's a huge job because somebody has to decide every single book that we bring into this bookstore, right? Mm-hmm. And we have about 10,000 titles in the store, give or take 500 or so right now. Well, each one of those titles I chose. And if there's 15 million titles out there, how do you decide which books to bring into the store? It's really it's not easy. And that's mm-hmm. my job. And that's kind of what I think I'm the most proud of. However, a little hint, I don't read a lot of books to their completion. I read a lot of books in partial segments, like maybe the first chapter, mm-hmm. and then a little bit in the middle, and then, and then the end. <laughs> and, and I get an idea of the storyline, the plot line. Am I happy with it? Do I like how the writer wraps things up? Are you able to follow them? Are they more intellectual? Because one of the other jobs that we have is to kind of know our customer base and know that Martha likes this, or Leslie likes this, or Paul likes this. However, I will say that I just finished just last night the book that's for our book festival because we have 35 authors but there's about 100 books for those authors because they have backlist titles that we want to talk about as well and our keynote is david pog from cbs morning news he wrote a book called how to prepare for climate change and i finished it last night sounds very timely (laughs) i will tell you that it is not depressing even though you would think it might be because it's clever and he's clever if you haven't seen him before he's very witty and very smart he's a science kind of guy and his book i can't remember the actual subtitle but it's something like the practical guide to the chaos of climate change and it's funny and it's sad and it's scary, but it was it was enlightening and interesting. And I am definitely going to be recommending that book to a lot of people. But I also what I like to read, what I call my um, reality TV, you know, mm-hmm. how people say that they just need to decompress when they go home and watch reality TV. Mm-hmm. My reality TV is suspense thrillers. So oh. the crazier the suspense, the more I love it. And I read books 
six to seven months before they're published, which also makes things a little bizarre because if I say a title, people will not have heard of it for another seven months. Um, <laughs> but I have a lot of, of great authors. You'll have to come to the store to see all my suspense and thriller authors because I keep adding new ones and I love them. And they're so fun because yeah. they allow you to escape from the world that we oh, are I know. living in and live in somebody else's problem, right? <laughs> That's where I want to go. <laughs> I remember as a sorry, teenager. Sorry, that was a really long answer. I'm so no, sorry. No, 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 no. I, I asked the question. I want to, to hear about your reading habits. Now, I was just going to say that I loved suspense quite a bit as a teen. I remember reading a lot of these books that was like the cat who something or other. And... Uh, <laughs> And maybe that's that's why I have two cats now. But yeah, I, I've sort of fallen out of the habit of reading books from becoming a news writer. And, you know, your at- attention span kind of dwindles, but definitely would like to get back in the habit of doing some longer reads. Well, can I tell you, I have to tell you that we tell this to everyone because the reason we went from a children's bookstore to a full service bookstore is because we noticed the number of people that would bring their children to a children's bookstore and then they would say, I don't have time to read or I don't read or I Mm -hmm. read too much for my work. I don't have the ability to read for fun. And it was almost, it was a challenge because I'm the same boat. I own a bookstore and I struggle to actually read for enjoyment. Same, Same as everybody else. And the result is you actually do have to make a choice. You have to say every night, at seven o'clock, not 10 or 11 when you're exhausted, I'm not gonna turn the television on. I'm not gonna scroll on Instagram. I'm gonna open a book. Like you have to make yourself do it. But I have mm-hmm. found that if, if you actually make yourself do it, you'll start doing it and you'll be better for it, I swear. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I need I need to take my medicine. That's for, every, uh, that's for your listeners, that's for everybody. Yeah. Because we all fall into that. It is easier to turn the TV on and just be. It just is. It it, it is for everybody almost. So there's no shame in that. Um, Even when I go on vacation, a, you know, I, I bring uh, books and I say I'm going to read on the beach and they never even make it to the beach. They're... <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's true. It's a thing. It's a problem. We all have it. <laughs> I need a support group. So what... You know, pre pre pandemic, what kinds of events would you have going on at Let's Play Books? Like, would you have book club meetings there and and that type of thing? And is that going to come Everything. back? Everything. Yes, we were focused on events. Actually, that community aspect. We had 119 events in 2019. Wow, um, that's a lot of events. Yes. So, everything from traditional story times to, like you already mentioned, book clubs. We actually have five or six community members that run book clubs on our behalf. We basically don't turn anybody down if they have an interest in an idea that they want to run something here. We do it. We have had art classes, music classes, but most of the focus tends to be around author events or non-author book events particularly with children, you can often do a lot of engaging and entertaining book author-less events, whether it's related to art, music, storytelling, that kind of thing. But author events, you know, is really our big one. In fact, 
during the pandemic, we hosted a 600 and some person event that was in person. Hmm. Um, I know it sounds crazy, but it was Jeff Kinney who wrote the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books. So a lot of people know those yes. titles. And his publishing company put together an outdoor drive-through event. Wow. And yeah, 250 cars lined up, you know, for two and a half hours to come through a fabulous deep end of the ocean is it was the the book title is the deep end. And so it was all water themed and they would go through six different stations in their car and it ended with Jeff Kinney throwing a water balloon at their car. I mean, it was, it was fabulous. It was so creative and it totally spoke to what bookstores go through to kind of connect to their audience. And he's a bookstore owner. And so he, he gets it and right. he did a national tour that way. So, so that's the kind of thing we do. We do crazy events. We do a annual Harry Potter book launch and we've held it at the wildlands conservancy a couple years with 200 people outside everybody dressed as you know a wizard or a witch and mm. all sorts of events that really kind of exemplify playing in a book like how do you make this book come alive and enjoy it that's cool We're i gonna... miss them i miss doing them i miss the people very much yeah yeah there's there's no substitute for that type of connection. I mean, there are ways to, you know, bridge the, the gap, which we've been doing. But, but yeah, I hear you. I wanted to ask you about something that you have on your website. It's the, the Let's Play Books Anti-Racist Pledge. It's not a political statement you, you write, but a moral imperative. Can you tell us about that and, and why you felt it was important to make this pledge? Oh, that's a loaded one, right? <laughs> um, yes, we do have that on our website. And, and we did put it out launching Black History Month of this year. Yet we have been talking, I would say, outwardly for years at this point. You can't be a reader or certainly not a reader of nonfiction, which I am a huge fan of, and the news, and not know that we have major issues in our country that are that stem from systemic racism. And I don't believe that that's a political statement by any means at all. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, you can look at the history, you can read the books and say, wow, didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yet another thing I have added to my brain of understanding just how over the last 400 years, our country has really been built on the backs of our black men and women. And it is imperative to learn that, whether mm-hmm. it's in school, whether it's on your own in a book, whether it's by attending sessions, you have you have to actively engage and learn for yourself the inequities that are there it is not up for debate it's a fact and if you if you don't believe that to be true come and see me at the store and i'll give you a book and then i'll give you another book and it's taken me years and years and years to get where i am so i don't expect anyone to to flip a switch and all of a sudden be like oh i'm anti-racist 
for me, it, it, it started, and I'm ashamed to say it, in 2016 with the shooting of Philandro Castile mm-hmm. because he was shot in his car or his, his girlfriend's car, literally sitting in a car shot. And, and I'm not saying actively that our white police officers are to blame everywhere because there are wonderful police officers and one of one, one of which I love very, very much. Yet we have a culture over the course of hundreds of years that have developed into we are fearful of black men and it's an irrational fear and doesn't belong there, yet it's there. And so we have to address it. We have to deal with it. And the day after Philandra was was shot and killed, I attended an author event at another bookstore, the Clinton Bookshop in Clinton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And they had an author, a black man, who wrote a book about racism in this country. And he couldn't talk to us because he said to us, mostly a white audience, I can't tell you guys it's going to be okay. It's not my job to make you feel better, you white Mm -hmm. people, because my people are being killed in the street and nothing's changing. And that was devastatingly, I mean, I cried and then I felt guilty for crying because there's white tears. And I mean, Mm -hmm. there's so many things that, that go into how we feel about ourselves. And all I can say is that our bookstore and almost every other bookstore I have ever been in is about growing, right? It's about learning. It's not about shaming. And we need to learn from each other how to be better and why we need to be better. And that was a really long answer. I'm so sorry that it just just felt like it was important to finally say something out loud that I was a couple of years, multiple years into my own personal journey of trying to be a better human being. And it was time to start saying more outwardly and seeing if there were other people that our bookstore might be able to influence in a positive way. Well, it it makes sense to me that that a bookstore would would be dedicated to like you said, growing and learning. And I do sort of want to follow that up just by asking, you know, does that pledge then carry over into your curation of titles, what you buy? I mean, if somebody comes in and, and asks for the latest, you know, Sean Hannity book, is is that, are they going to find that on the shelf there? Or, you know, how does that, how do the... I mean, because political books are a huge juggernaut in and of themselves. Do you sell, they are. Do you sell those? And, and how do you... That must be a difficult line to walk in a way. It is. It is and it isn't. Because my, my objective is to not make anyone feel badly about the books that are on our shelves. Or the lack of books on our shelves. And we order... 75% of the books that people purchase from us are, are special orders. They have come into the store and they say, I don't see the book that I want. I really want this book. Or we come up with a book together and realize that we don't have it on the shelf because the last time I carried it was two years ago. But it's a great book and it fits the right environment. 
So when it comes to political books, we have definitely skewed on the political arena left. But even within left-leaning sides, there are drastic differences between the incredible progressive left and the central. And what kind of titles are we actually bringing in? An example would be that if an author, and I I hesitate to say names because I certainly don't want to ostracize anyone and I don't want to to make things worse (laughs) because some people, we have gotten a little bit of hate mail at times, I won't lie to you some of which most recently was was very devastating, to be perfectly honest. And my objective is if you disagree with something I've said or our store stands for, we welcome you to come here and have a discussion about it, right? But when it comes to the books that are on the shelves, instead of having all the biographies of everyone, we might have books like from John Meacham, a historian that's talking about ex-president or something like that versus the political leaning straight from MSNBC or Fox News local anchor writing the new book. Mm-hmm. The only change there would be Rachel Maddow because I have a you know total girl crush on her <laughs> and <laughs> I think she's one of the most brilliant people out there, politics aside. Um, so we, we welcome books from anyone, and there's no one that I would censor, except for a few people that have been held, if they've been arrested for something, things like that. Those are the those are the titles or the authors that I won't carry. Right, right. Well, that I would hope everybody understands that, and um, <laughs> that decision. And, and yeah, so the bottom line is, if you, if you want a book, you can always come in and, and you'll special order it for them. You bet anything and we've seen it all and we don't judge you know at Mm -hmm. all because it's it's cool you know i mean learning about everything is cool and and one of the best things to do particularly in the political landscape is to read about people and ideas that are different than your own right so Mm -hmm. we want books on our shelves that open people's minds to all sorts of different ways about thinking about world politics as well as national I think we're going to have to have a part two with you because... Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, your answers are, are really to the point, actually. But there's just so much ground to cover between the business and the book festival and just the state of the book industry right now and COVID and all that stuff. So, But I, I don't want to close out without giving you the chance to talk a little bit about you know ways that our listeners can connect with you, especially online right now, before you reopen the store. You have a great website, you have a newsletter, you have social media. Tell us about all those things and, and point point our listeners in the right direction. I appreciate that very much because I think getting information out is, is the hardest thing there is to do, particularly when you're a small business. You know, mm-hmm. we're not a big group that can afford advertisement in in all the places that we financially support like we want newspapers and we need newspapers and we believe in them but we can't afford to put an ad in the paper things like that so i, wow. I really appreciate I'll have that i'll talk to um, you about that on a separate call <laughs> <laughs> our website is kind of our home base it's a little complicated because it's robust and you can do pretty much anything you want there which includes finding 15 million books they're all there 
which is wonderful, but please know that they're not all here in the actual store. So the website has the ability to see what we are able to purchase. Some of those books will be, of course, in the store, but the older the title, the less likely it'll actually be on the shelf. But anything can be ordered, and if you place an order, we contact you right away through the website if we can't get that book. Or if it's going to take more than a week or two, we'll give you a call and say, this is a special order, and you might have to wait six weeks. Do you still want it? Mm-hmm. Um, and we go we go pretty far. You know, we'll, we'll get a book at Barnes & Noble for you. We'll find it on Amazon for you. We will do the things to help you find the book that you want if, you, if we can't get it for you. There's also the event calendar, which is there. And there's also a link there for the Lehigh Valley Book Festival, because unlike a lot of book festivals, as a bookstore, we're hosting it with the cooperation of the Bethlehem Library. So we're kind of the home base for the book festival. And we still have more than three quarters of the festival is left. So we really hope that some people can join us because it's also our way of connecting not only with readers, but also with publishers so that we're still relevant in this world mm-hmm. where <laughs> we might not be having a, a author events in person for another six to 12 months at hmm. this rate. Yeah. And every social media platform we are on. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. The only thing we don't have yet is TikTok, but I think we might have to <laughs> keep that one on the side for a while. <laughs> so I'm a hold out on that one too. <laughs> Let's Play Books is our handle for everything. Awesome. And the website address is Let's Play Books. Let's Play Books.com. Dot com. And you are at 244 Main Street in Emmaus? We are. Thank you. Yes, 244 Main Street. And we believe, even though we're not open to the public right now, we believe that as of April 24th, which is Independent Bookstore Day, we are going to reopen to the public for browsing with limited number of people in the store. So it might be a little bit clunky and you might have to wait outside for a little bit, but we hope to be able to have four or five families in the shop at any one time by the end of the month. So that's kind of exciting. Well, and that's a great reason to follow you on Facebook and Instagram and sign up for the newsletter because I'm sure you'll be announcing all the details of that in the weeks to come. Yes, definitely. Thank you again for joining us, Kirsten. It's been a pleasure having you. And like I said, we'll we'll have to have another another chat sometime in the future. And we wish you all the best. I really appreciate it. Thank you so very much. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you.
No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Every night, he climbs the tower, sees your face on every dollar.